Welcome back to The Hang. This is Nick Finzer. I'm here with Alan Blanchard, and today is April 3rd, 2019. I almost said 2018. Good thing I remembered what year it was. Uh, so really glad to be back, and we're going to be talking about a few things today on the podcast, but mostly wanted to jump right in to talk a little bit about April, because April is Jazz Appreciation Month, and there's some, always some cool things happening. So, Alan, thanks for being here, first off. Yeah, I mean, of course, this is what we do, man. This is what we do. And uh, so jazz appreciation, I kind of never knew that it was a thing, and mostly because we think about jazz like every day. But um, I don't know. Did you have in your high school growing up, there used to be these like jazz appreciation day month, like posters in the band room. Did you have those? No. You didn't have those. They no, were always we like it was always like a like a painting of Duke Ellington or something. Like uh, I can picture it. I can't think of the artist or anything. But so you never had those. So how did you know that it, April was even Jazz Appreciation Month? I'm going to be completely honest. I didn't until you like didn't know. literally two weeks ago. Um, so I was this year. Yeah, I always knew it was the International Jazz Day. But I didn't know there was a whole month until like I just started seeing stuff being shared about, you know, April's it might have been actually last year. But like this certainly isn't something that I thought was a, uh, a big deal until recently. Well, I don't know if it's a big deal, but I think it's uh, something that we can make something of. I mean, that's why International Jazz Day is during April. That's why, because it's a oh, jazz sure. appreciation month. Well, OK, let me ask you this question. I think everyone, um, you know, to the the regular person that's not psychotic and decide to be a musician. Um, <laughs> jazz, jazz appreciation month is meant to be something where we, you know, educate people and, and expose people to like our heritage, you know, as, as Americans and whatnot with jazz. So since that's, you know, you kind of mentioned, mentioned that that's really normal for us. What are things that you think that you've gone to appreciate because of jazz that isn't necessarily music related? Oh, wow. This is a great question. Wow. I'm impressed by you right now. Thanks. Say. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> what do I appreciate because of jazz? Yeah, like stuff that you've been exposed to in jazz or stuff that you've been exposed to, um, you know, as, as, a, as a part of being a jazz musician that you're like, you know what? Yeah. This is a good reason as to why it happened. Well, I would say that there's... I'm going to say two things. One, one, first of all, is the serious thing, and then there's a less serious thing. Okay. But, so it's serious, but in all seriousness, I think being a jazz musician and being around jazz musicians and being in the jazz idiom, jazz life, gives you really like, this is going to sound super cheesy, but it gives you a, like an up-close and personal interaction with real creative geniuses and like – Painting is great. Writing is great. But none of that stuff, it doesn't happen in real time. Like jazz happens in real time. Like you hear somebody doing some amazing stuff and bands that just play together and like they're creating significant art in the moment and of the moment. And to me, that has always been what attracted me to playing jazz and wanting to try to aspire to be like those people that made those recordings and like, I don't know. So and maybe that sounds cheesy, but like, I really think that the creative process that goes into playing 
jazz and just the amount of like training the amount of it's it's just like so much in the moment that it's most other art forms i feel like don't even come close and maybe people will hate on me for saying that they but, definitely um, will yeah but i just i mean i think a lot of things take a lot of time and a lot of training but they don't happen in real time in the same way like a composer who composes amazing music it doesn't happen in and of the moment you know it's it's perfected over time a novel is perfected over time a painting is perfected over time a drawing you know but you know or even you could say cooking or whatever else you want to drive it to i guess cooking has i think cooking is close i think it's close but uh i don't know like to me anyway that's the reason why i think that's what i appreciate about jazz and just like the greater human genius in general um and then there's a slew of things that are just totally either nerdy or very um, <laughs> things that I never would have experienced probably if I sure. wasn't a jazz musician. Like, you know, one of my great joys in life has, is, is like being able to get on the plane first because I figured out how to use. Oh, my God. <laughs> how to utilize and getting airline status. Like. I don't know why it brings me so much joy. I like to expose to people at the airport that I'm better than them. But it's not even that. It's just that you learn how to play this really stupid game really well. And then you get like these stupid benefits that literally mean almost nothing. Except for the fact when you carry your instrument. Like yeah. as, soon, <laughs> as soon as I got that priority boarding, like my stress level at the airport was at least gone down by half. That's like a life and death situation trying to fight an airline sometimes with instruments. I know, I know. So there's another like so there's things like that. There's like, hey, I got to play on a Russian billionaire's yacht. Like I never would have done that if I was. All right, weird flex, Nick. (laughs) No weird I don't know. I'm just trying to say that being right. a jazz musician takes you in unexpected places. Now, let me explain how you could have said that not of a flexing way. You could have said, I enjoyed traveling. <laughs> well, I, I guess <laughs> you're exposing my true nature or something. No, I get that. I think, um, you know, I certainly would think travel. Uh, granted, I know you're always poking fun of me that I've probably gone four places ever. Um, so it's, it's nice to kind of start doing that, but, uh, I kind of mimic you, like, you know, you're talking about, uh, it's nice to be able to meet these people who are literally like creative geniuses. Um, whereas something I love to do is I think I can say, and I I hope you'll agree, but like, there's a different type of, uh, a culture with like jazz musicians that are famous or are like at the top of the game and how they interact with people that are just like, that are serious about it and trying to learn than there is necessarily in like other uh, professions. Yeah, totally. So like one of the things that I really like to do is like, you know, we experience that all the time going backstage at a concert or something. If someone comes to your school and, or, you know, when you're at a festival or whatever, you get to interact with the other artists, man, I love taking um, my friends that are not musicians or not jazz musicians and like, exposing them to that because it it totally like crosses that barrier of you know like they're there we're here to perform and then or to pay to watch them and then leave and then you know how cool it is to just people go after go back there afterwards and talk to them and just like the hang (laughs) you know the hang is so 
uh, so awesome. And like, I'd certainly, I think it's, it's a different kind of hang, you know, hanging with my jazz musician friends that like we've played gigs and like, we've gotten to know each other like in that manner versus just my other very good friends that are not musicians. Like it's two different beasts. Sure. Um, so I don't know. I mean, we always, I'm sure you hung out with friends when you were in school and you still do now, but you know, like getting up playing cards and listening to music and, and, and um, talking like that. And then again, our professors down here and, and the older musicians I've always been around are very <laughs> like, they still want to be a part of it, which is really cool. Yeah, I think that's just it's part of the culture of the music, you know. Yeah, and that's how we learned was I mean, now I'm trying I guess I kind of smack in the middle of like the age of your professors and like you kind of but like I don't know. I'm just just trying to get better at playing music and want to participate and that's like why I want to play music half the time, you know. It's always yeah. like all tangled up. It's not one or the other, it's both. No, no, I completely agree. And I mean, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's really it. It's also like, there's never, I feel like they always know how to have, uh, like jazz musicians know how to have a good time. <laughs> you know, like they're sure. always eating food. They're always like, the stories are incredible. <laughs> yeah, because we have, uh, you know, weird experiences. <laughs> right. And I think it's also great though. Like, I think this would be a very different experience if jazz was say 400 years old. Oh yeah, it would be totally different because it's it is very interesting and very very unique that we can still get in touch with people that were like the originals or like one from them. You know, the fact that I can call up John Faddis, who like is arguably the closest thing to like a musical son that Dizzy Gillespie had. You know, that's mm-hmm. something that obviously like people generations from now will not be able to do. Um, so that's kind of cool to be able to have that and, you know, with media coming around when it did still having access to, you know, YouTube videos or Smithsonian recordings or whatever, like there's Smithsonian recordings of Jelly Roll Morton, like literally the, one of the people who's credited with starting it. So it's kind of, uh, an advantage we have. It, yeah, I mean, it definitely is. I will see how it goes into the future. I, we were very well documented music, but at the same time, under you know underrepresented. Hence, having this you know Jazz Appreciation Month, just because it was, it's kind of. It, I think the problem sometimes stems from us as a musician about why it's underappreciated. Because like we try to straddle this life of life, probably isn't the right word. Like what I mean is situation and kind of conception of the music as being both an art music and a street music. And it is both, but at the same time, that's really hard for most people to identify with something that is not categorized in one or the other, but is both, you know, like it's, it goes against the the laws of logic that we, uh, you know, have as humans. One thing, you know, something can't be red and be green because if it's together, it'll be some other color, you know, like it's not. You know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's no, no, it does. Because like, it's kind of like, I agree with you that like it fits in both categories, but it's a concept of like, look, if you want to be street music or, or popular music or whatever, like you have to evolve and you have to make sure that you're very flexible and fluid with where that direction of like what that type of audience is wanting to hear 
or else they're going to stop listening. And then, so yeah, we definitely get into the point where like, then some jazz musicians are like, no, no, you need to listen to this because of the, the integrity of it and the value that it brings. And that's kind of where it crosses that other threshold because you're going to, you know, you're going to lose part of your audience, um, which is, you know, an endless cycle of not necessarily fixing any problem, but there's not always necessarily a problem to fix. So it's an interesting dynamic. I think the, the musician's dilemma has been the same for a long time and that we just kind of overlook it and we just assume that it's different now than it was. When I talk to older musicians in New York, like they always have passed on that, like the generation before them always thought it was better before, you know, like, uh, I mean, people now are like, wow, you guys spend too many, too much time on computers. But for us, it's like, uh, if we don't spend this much time on computer, we're not going to (laughs) live, you know? Right. So it's, but like, even go back to the days of, you know, Bach, like he had a, a, a royalty that's gave him money to do what he did, you know, like he didn't exist, like being rich and famous, like he just got some money to like live so he could compose his music. And it wasn't like people, he wasn't Bach then, you know, like he wasn't universally renowned at the time of his life. And I think it's just kind of, it's always been that way. There's been a few exceptions, you know, obviously pop music stars and stuff were like miles or but even like Duke Ellington, like as famous and great as he was, like he wasn't like a super wealthy man by the end of his life. He spent all his money just trying to keep everybody on the road and trying to play music, you know? So it's like, I feel, I think sometimes we get it in our head that like it's been different and we got to get back to something, but it's like, it's always been this way. Aren't there, um, which is interesting that you bring that up, but aren't there some countries that like pay um artists what not necessarily just musicians but like they pay people that they they deem like key contributors to the culture of that country i think that's true but i think i don't think it's like they're rich and famous oh no 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 (laughs) i'm not talking like six figures you know just enough to like help stipend against you know your living costs well yeah i mean it's even like that in france like for professional musicians there's like a threshold of an amount of money that they'll give you, or I don't exactly know how it works. Probably somebody will know and will tell me I'm an idiot, but uh, I know that that's a thing, like in for France in particular. And then I know there's a lot of great grants in Canada and Australia that really support artists uh, much more than they do in the U.S., that's for sure. Right. Right. I mean, you know, that's, I'm not, actually, I am saying, hey, if the U.S. wants to start that, that'd be great. <laughs> but, um, no, it's, I think they're going it's the other way. yeah, uh, they're they're getting less. Literally. Yeah, but you know, this is again why we have Jam, which is evidently the acronym of Jazz Appreciation Month, um, and and why it's important to you know. To There's an acronym, yeah, form, fondly known as Jam. Um, so I, I feel don't, like when you said that, there was like, do they have their logo as like a weird drawing of a face or something? Is that still? Um, there? I'm looking at one. Yeah, yeah, it's like a face with a. With what looks like a trumpet and then like yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. jazz font <laughs> jazz font good, okay, good old right. jazz font Sidebar. can we get rid of this like jazz jazzy stuff as like adjective like i really i can't get behind it when people are like oh that's jazzy i hate that how many people do you say that <laughs> i i hear <laughs> in all that jazz more i hear in all, all that, that jazz, jazz. Or like that looks jazzy or like that's like, I don't know. People use it as an adjective, but it's not an adjective. 
Sure, sure. <laughs> I oh, you don't agree? With I, I don't hear. Okay, no, 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 no. I completely agree with you. I just haven't heard it enough to where like I have very strong opinions about it. Okay. Well, maybe you don't hang out with enough people that are enough older than you that they would say things like that. Well, yeah. G- give it the times, Nick. Well, I guess I'm just disconnected. But so anyway, are you are you on the Jazz Appreciation website right now? Is that what's happening? No, I had just Googled it because, like I said, um, this is new to me in, in some form or another. Um, you know, there's a great uh, – there was a great website I was looking at. What was this? Uh, like NAFME has stuff set up and all, which is which is cool. You know, and it, a lot of it ties up to Lincoln Center, um, which makes sense because they're so big in promoting jazz and education and, and music education, jazz with with everything they've done with essentially Ellington and all. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a great, it's a definitely a great thing to have. Of course, obviously, you and I believe that people should be more <laughs> open to it year round. Yeah, it would be nice. Did you ever see the, um, I guess talking about that, did you ever see like the very controversial post I put on Facebook about this? You put up a controversial post? Yeah, me, the guy that posts like four times a year, got roasted when December was around for a question I put up. Um, what did you say? I said to all my non-musician friends, this is how easy I was able to do this, by the way. I went to Facebook and I scrolled for 20 seconds and I found it. Um, to those of you that are big fans of Christmas music and love the way that listening to it feels, have you ever considered just listening to jazz not during the month of December? <laughs> because a lot of the popular albums are at least very heavily influenced by jazz and we see people that you know like martina mcbride release a song or release an album where she's singing in front of a big band uh-huh. and yeah, i don't know if you know martina mcbride is like a country singer Country singer. okay um and i was like you know what draws you to these albums and then i posed the same question to my musician friends that said why do you think these christmas holiday season type songs um that we see everyone listening to is and they're listening to jazz and like they're really enjoying it is there a way that we can take those same reasons and apply it year round yeah and you got roasted for it yeah uh there was like one of them that had i like someone commented and it was like 80 comments or something when it was uh, completely went sideways um but you know the main consensus from a lot of people was that they don't care that it's jazz they just care with the fact that like those are the songs and yeah. that's what's been done forever for that time. Um, and then it's, it's nostalgia, man. That's it's right. nothing to do with the just, yeah. Right. And then someone took the stance of like, I don't think there's any obligation for people to listen to jazz. And I was like, all right, I think you missed the point here. Uh, yeah, there's no obligation, but it would be nice. A lot of things would be nice, but it's hard. It's a tough music to sell, man. You need people that have a longer attention span than average, you know? So it's already cutting down your, population by at least half right right it is and you know it's a harder um i think it's harder to keep people in it that are like could possibly be exposed to learning it too because you know i don't i don't know about you i've witnessed great musicians that were like high school kids and whatnot that end up going a different direction not because they weren't disinterested in jazz but because they just like look at it and they're like ah you know i don't know if i have like if I want to struggle like that, or if I really want to hustle like that. 
Sure. Yeah, that's, that's a definitely a real thing. For something, and I'm, you know, how many times have we heard, I don't, well, I don't know if you did because your mom's a musician, but that endless question of like, okay, so how are you actually going to make a living? Oh, well, my mom, I mean, she's a, she's a musician, but she wasn't really living a musician's life like while I was growing up, you know? So there was that question for sure. Right. That's what I'm trying to say. Like she, she didn't get back into music until I was like doing it really seriously. So not that she didn't influence me into it. I'm not trying to take that away from her. I'm just saying <laughs> backpedaling here. Sorry, mom. Uh, <laughs> that's not what I mean at all, but there were the questions. My dad wanted me to get a music education degree because he thought that I needed to have a backup plan and what are you going to do to pay your bills, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's specifically right. why I did not get a music education degree is because I took on the philosophy that if I had that backup, I wasn't going to put myself into the position I needed to be to, to do what I wanted to do, you know, not because I hate teaching. No, that's, that's what I did. I didn't, I didn't do it. I said, no, I'm not going to do that because if I have a backup plan, I will use the backup plan and I don't want there to be an option of a backup plan. I want to do the thing that I'm setting out to do. So, right. Cause I mean, not to say that like music ed is easy by any means, you know, oh, no, bless your heart hard. doing that. But like, at least there is the, um, like there is some, uh, Security is not the right right word, but like there's a path. Yes, there's a very clear like when you get out of school, like you know specifically what you're doing. You're going to apply for music education jobs, and that at least is a little comforting in my mind. You know, to have that clear like if you do A, then B will come, and if while you're doing B, you do like these things, then C will come, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know. I mean, there's a path for us too, but it's less uh, less clearly defined. It's kind of like you're going to practice and not be a jerk, and then one day someone will most likely take a chance on you. I don't know about that last part, but definitely the first two parts. Okay, yeah, yeah, but I mean, like you can obviously book your gigs, but you know, how many times have you heard the old like phrase, like if you take care of the music, the music will take care of you. Oh, I've heard it a million times, and I I'm not convinced of the of that statement, but I understand the context of that statement. Right, I get the the point of the it. Point. Um, I think it's more. There's more to it than that. I think. I think uh, you have to. There's a certain amount of luck involved, and I I don't think that that's. Uh, we were talking before that uh, Carl Allen, great drummer, visited. This, uh, Florida State today with you, and yesterday he was at UNT here, ironically. Right. Uh, so, you know, he always used to say in school that luck, there's no such thing as luck. It's when preparation meets opportunity. And I kind of uh, have bought into that kind of idea that, like, but you still need to put yourself in a position to get the opportunities. Like, you're not going to live in the middle of South Dakota and get called to play at the village Vanguard. Right. Like it's just not going to happen. You have to put yourself in the situation in order to get the opportunities that you want. That's all. Well, and I think, I think what I've come to learn at least recently is that there's a kind of um, that, like that generation that is currently doing it. And the musicians that are currently out there playing, they kind of have an appreciation for recognizing your attempt to put yourself into those positions. If that makes sense. Sure. I mean, there's a lot. It just takes a lot to get to those places. Well, they like they like respect you like 
go like going out on a limb and being like, Hey, you know, and like when they see that, that form of an interest or desire, you know, that can make them take their own interest in you. Sure. I mean, I think that's purely human. When somebody shows an interest in you, you show an interest back, you know, most of the time. Right. And especially, but you're right, especially in this music and especially when someone is super serious about it, like, the more people you meet that want to be jazz musicians that you realize aren't actually all that serious, the more that you give to them when you do find one that is super serious. Right. So, you know, talking about things that Carl Allen said, I have an interesting uh, <laughs> question to ask you. Um, okay. He spoke about today that he's like, you know, he's a firm believer that there's two different kinds of people in the world. There's leaders and there's followers. And if you're a follower, that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's just recognizing but that's kind of the role that you naturally fit into or you would rather be into, you know? So if you made the equivalent to like band leaders, sidemen, you know, sure. Um, he said, now he is, he's like, I reckon, you know, I recognize that I'm a leader. It's not me being arrogant. That's just what I am. I want to be doing things. I want to be making a change. And he's like, but as a leader, I've also recognized that the thing that drives me nuts the most is waiting on other people to do what I need them to do. Um, so that poses a question to you. How, you know, do you ever get into that dynamic where you get frustrated with the people you've called because they might be uh, not taking as much of an initiative as you would expect? And then if so, how do you balance that between like, because then theoretically, if you want them to take more initiative, you would hire like if it's a scale, someone closer on maybe that leader side, but then that could lead to butting heads. Ooh, hmm. Um, I guess that's true. I, I will say yes, that I have experienced a similar feeling of frustration when you have an expectation, but I think that that happens across fields. I don't think that's unique to just jazz. Oh no, not at all. Um, but what do you do? I think that this is a primary reason of why you tend to hire people that you're comfortable with because you know how they're going to be. And for example, certain people that I call, uh, won't name any names, but they are very slow at getting back. But usually if they can't do something, they get back right away. You know, so usually it's kind of like the thing where- <laughs> So if they don't answer you in two days, like, you know they'll do it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But like in general, that's not a great business practice. Right. And it's a little frustrating if they don't just say, okay or anything you know like nothing so you know there's that but um how do you balance it um i don't i just call who i want to call and deal with the ramifications of that um, i feel like you'd be a lot less stressed if you worked on that yeah but then you have to sacrifice well i'm gonna go contradict myself I was gonna say, you have to sacrifice the music if you do you know oh sure you know, I mean, I can call, I can call only the most trustworthy people, but it might end up being kind of a boring band. Right. Right. I get that. I mean, this music had personalities all over it for a reason, you know? Well, I get that. But, um, you know, I, I do, I will say that I'm like, I'm looking at my notes right now and I still very much have a bone to pick with you. Uh -oh. And I want to know why is my resume so bad? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think we were going to talk about this. Um, okay. So to fill people in, um, you know, Nick is an obvious person that I go to for 
his advice on things because I value it. Um, and the other day I sent him a resume and a cover letter for a job I was looking at. And he responded with, this resume is awful. And I said, what do I need to change? And he's like, it's too much. We'll do it some other time. Just submit it. <laughs> so put me on put me on the spot. Okay. Yeah, because here's the thing, as I've seen some people with those resumes that are like colored, you know, and have like That's not what like this form of a design with it. And I was like, all right, this is a little too much. Um totally. But I'm interested because um to anyone that ever listens to this that's in the world of education, you know that you never get told how to do these things in school. And then the times that I have turned in something like this to school, people look at it more probably for content, less for f- um, uh, layout and whatnot. And they're like, oh, this is this is pretty good. You know, like this is uh, this looks like a good resume or the other people that evidently turn it in um, just are so bad that in the case of the grading scale that that works out because the you know directions we get is like, don't list your high school stuff. Make sure you have like a form of. Um, address like you know be neat and organized with the way that you're thinking but what what did you have what did you have against it it's not that i had something against it it was just the way that it was formatted was not as clear and informative as it could have been what's not clear about experience teaching experience than education sections I don't know. It's just like the way that it's laid out. Sure. Like it, it doesn't have, it doesn't like, I don't know with everything center aligned, like you had it and kind of, there's different schools of thought here that like you want your resume to either like be what the same as everyone else's, or maybe you want it to have like a look and a feel that it's like something maybe a little bit different. I'm not talking about colors. I'm not talking about crazy designs or crazy fonts. I'm just saying like, you know, yours has a look to it. You know, there's maybe a header area and like, I know yours has that, but yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, yours has that. I'm giving you credit for it. Credit is due. And I will say that there's but only, not, there's only three areas that are centered, which is literally the titles of the subsections. Everything else is left justified. <laughs> I'm not looking at it anymore. I don't remember all of the things. No, no, that's cool. That's cool. Now I'm going to pull it up because, uh, because now I, I feel attacked a little bit. Um, I was just curious because, you know, like, I think especially, um, like, I think it's fair for me to say that this is something that I might be a little bit more comfortable in than a lot of musicians in the sense of, like, putting together formal documents. Like, how often, sure, you know, everyone, like, that's just something that they overlook because we spend all of our life trying to practice and then someone goes, okay, can you see? Oh, I know exactly what it is. Oh, go ahead. Go it, ahead. Tell me what exactly what it is. Because the, the information that you want to jump off the page doesn't jump off the page. So work experience jumps off the page. And then it's just kind of a blob of text. Like it's not, it could be more clear if you added some, some more ways of guiding the eye through the document. So like, for example, if you look at my bio on my website, there's certain words that, that are bolded. bolded. Right. Why, why is that? Because when people scan it, you want them to just see those words. Right, because they matter. So I'm, not, I'm not, so I'm not saying you should just bold random words in your resume. But what I'm saying is, like, it should be clear that, so if I scroll through it very quickly, that I see um, exactly what's happening. 
and at least as it's coming up right now, maybe it's not coming up exactly for me as it's formatted on you, which is another thing. You always send a PDF, never a, a Word yep. doc file because the formatting gets screwed up. Yep. But maybe you sent that in correctly. But like, it's just not as much as it could be. It could be more clear. That's all. Okay. No, I expect that. Also, and, uh, while we're talking about your website, I I sincerely have to thank you for not being one of the artists um, that has music playing the second you hit their website. Oh my God. This is funny. This is really funny because there was a podcast that I used to listen to by a guy that was a jazz DJ on the radio station in Rochester who does not work there anymore, but he has a podcast and he talked about this on his podcast I remember listening to it in 2010 and immediately taking the music off of my website that auto played. Yeah. It's just, um, you know, and I'm less annoyed with it when it like is very clearly marked (laughs) as to where it is. I'm more annoyed with it where I like, I can't find it. (laughs) And then when I go to a new page, it just starts over. And so all I'm hearing is the first like eight bar introduction. (laughs) And yeah, 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 it's, you know, if that's your vibe and if that's what you want to do, by all means, do it. No, 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 no. Do not do it. it. We're taking a strong stance. You can't, you you know what happens is that you're looking at something and like you don't want the sound to be on, but you forgot to turn it off. And then you go to some guy's website and then like the stuff is blaring and you can't turn it off. Nobody likes it. Yeah. Okay. So my chance for a funny story. Um, did you know that on older iPhones, the volume of Siri was different than the volume of your phone? Uh, probably. Okay, so what you would used to have to do, and thank God they fixed this because this was the worst thing they could have ever done, was you would have to turn down the volume of your phone and then you would have to open Siri and turn down the volume of Siri by like queuing it up. Oh, yeah. So what happened to me one time was I was definitely not playing a pit orchestra gig in which I had my phone on silent and any musician like can admit that when you get to like the 35 minute monologue of someone and it's day seven of the show and you lost interest on day two that you're on your phone doing something and my f- thumb like glanced over the mic button in the text message. And so, like, in the middle of this monologue where this dude's trying to cry on stage, you just hear, doo-doo. <laughs> and I almost died. We weren't even in, like, a true pit where we, were, where we were mic'd in. We were, like, in a pit in front of the stage. And all, oh, and all of a sudden, like, my phone went away. And I remember TJ was, like, in the pit. And he turned and he's like, bruh. <laughs> I was like, man, I am so sorry. Like, my volume is off. I don't understand. Um I do remember this. This was a constant problem, actually. I remember being in a pit in New York. The same thing would happen. Yeah, it's a pain, and I like. I hope that it it doesn't happen to anybody else. But it was awful because, and then of course, like once that happens, for some reason, you never seem to hit the right button to like turn it off afterwards. It. Yeah. You're like hitting something else, and Siri's like, "I'm sorry, I missed that." And I was like, "You weren't supposed to hear any of it." <laughs> there you go technology destroying your life yeah it, i mean it's it's literally the worst but i'm you know i'm glad to find out that my resume wasn't the worst thing you've ever seen in your entire life it wasn't the worst i've ever seen i've definitely seen worse 
I'm also not an expert. And also I, there was, I consulted a third party and that third party wanted to help you. And I said, <laughs> I said, he's sending this in tomorrow. Okay, wait, hold on, hold on. <laughs> that job application didn't close for another four days. <laughs> I thought you said it was due Monday and it was already. Tuesday. Monday week, Monday week. Okay, I heard Monday. I'm sorry. Oh my. I misheard you. I was like, it's too late. He's got to get this in. Just let's tell him whatever we can tell him that he can do right now. Okay. Well, I'm glad um, one of the parties was sensible and caring, and the other party just said, this is trash, but too bad to fix it now. <laughs> Come on. She wanted to help you. Yeah, no, I get that. Um, I did. I did. When you were talking about the cover letter, though, I definitely, um, those were all things that I thought of. Like, it did seem kind of dense. Um, which yeah. is a weird thing because to me, I've always been at least explained that like the cover letter is you kind of talking through your resume. Resume highlights. Yeah. 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 Like the, not everything on it, but the bigger things that you would like to point out. Definitely. So. Definitely. But I mean, yeah, grammar, obviously you got to make that the change. And you know, I've heard that a lot of people hate to whom it concerns. That's definitely true. I think that's definitely depends on the person. So if you knew that that was someone that uh, doesn't like that, but I usually, I don't know if I've ever, I definitely have written to whom it concerns, but I generally try to find out who is in charge of the, the department or something like that and put it to a person or to the search committee of such and such a place, you know, or something. Right. I mean, at least something yeah, to show that you true. put an effort into it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I don't remember what you had, though. You just had nothing. I no, think. I addressed it to the HR. To the HR. But it's not to HR. HR doesn't come into the end. Okay. Let me tell you how many of these jobs I've applied for. How many? None. This was the first one. Uh, yeah, first because you're like, hey, Alan, why don't you apply for this? Uh, you should apply for this teaching job at UNT. And I was like, Nick, I won't get the teaching job at UNT. Yeah, but I said you should do it for the experience of putting your resume oh. together because then you would have sent it to me two months ago and I would have been, hey, man, we got to redo this. <sighs> okay, that's, that's kind of like a good point. Uh, See? Yeah, I can't really hone you on that one. So, okay, we're, we're getting close to wrapping up our, this episode here, but um, you have something really big coming up and it's very much related to what we're talking about. So um, I know you're about to finish school. Right. You're about you're doing your recital, and you're starting to apply for jobs. Right. So I know what it was like for me when I was getting out of school. What's going through your brain? Like what what what's happening with you? What's your plan? Ooh. What are you thinking about? What are you worried? Well, thanks, about? Dad. Want, you know, um, <laughs> man, I I do not know. Um, I what I've done. What I was very adamant about doing. Um, was setting a, um, God, my cat ran in here. This is the worst. Um, <laughs> what I, it was very adamant about doing was my parents offered, oh my God, Jesus, <laughs> offered for me to, um, <laughs> come, he's never like this until I have to do something, uh, to move home after school because that's, you know, very common. Um, and so what I did because I don't think anyone ever actually wants to move home um, was I set a very firm time limit of when I was going to move out. Now my family lives back okay. in Nashville, greater Nashville area at least. And so I had decided if regardless of if I um, move home 
at Nashville or whatever, I was going, you know, whether I was going to stay in Nashville, I wanted to be out by January 2020. That's all I cared about. Uh, so that would be roughly a little over six months living at my parents' place. Um, and that's still tentatively the plan, unless like that job comes through or whatnot. Um, but really, I just wanted to... Yeah, I don't really know, man, because I, I don't feel like I'm in a position, or at least the teaching jobs that are open are jobs that I am either A, qualified for, or B, they're in necessarily areas where I'd like to be in. Um, and I will say that what I've noticed is kind of different from me and the rest of like the student, uh, the, the graduate students or, or my friends who are doing their masters is I kind of feel like really strongly that I still want a teacher, like specifically a trumpet teacher. Um, and I think that kind of has to do with the fact that I did six years back to back at the same school with the same teacher. And that's like really the only um, private teacher I've ever had. Um, and so I still like, especially one of the places I was considering was moving to New York. So hopefully I could seek out um, Fattis and continue the relationship that we have and continue working with him or um, being in an area where I'm close enough to someone that I like really want to study with that I have that opportunity to go study with them, you know, maybe not on a weekly basis, but on, on a basis that's enough to where I'm forming a relationship and getting another opinion. Um, and the other thing I was really concerned about doing and wanted to make sure I carried was like what people I think always complain about in school, but then it's really nice to have is like the structure of school. Um, yeah, cause totally. it's really easy to get out of that. Um, and of course like, you know, facilities or whatever and all that, but it's really easy to get out of that structure when you don't have it. Um, and I've always wanted my life to be <laughs> more structured because my issue is that I'm not organized enough to like dedicate, you know, to be dedicated about like setting specific, maybe practice goals or like realizing, oh, here's your schedule. Here's when you should practice in these times. Um, and then what happens is like I get to a time when it's like, oh, I have free time, but then you don't want to do anything. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's pretty normal. Well, yeah, yeah, that's really normal, except when it's like, oh, hey, I was at school from, you know, eight to four, and now I'm like home at four, and it's like, okay, I don't want to practice, but then you look at it, and you're like, okay, well, I should have practiced today because I need the practice time. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it's what separates, you know, people that make it. In oh, the, yeah, that's, you that's know. you know, Alan, I looked at the practice time, and that's why I have a job at UNT. Okay, I hate you too, Nick. <laughs> What are you talking about? I'm not. I'm, yeah. I'm not, I'm, also, I'm saying is like in, out there in the real world, the players that, you know, make it, make it happen are the people that figure, figure it out I, for themselves because everybody's different. Right. You know? And I will say, though, that it's also like a very, um, like, even though I say all these things I'm trying to take into consideration, not really scared at all. Like, I'm kind of, it's kind of, um, freeing in the sense that like this way now if there's something i want to do like i can just go do it um right. you know like with everything else like there's been always that constraint of like oh well i couldn't go see this person play because i have school monday or this feeling of like you know i would really love to spend more time checking this person out or working on this specific aspect but I can't because you have to balance what you want to do with essentially survival mode to make sure you do what you need to do for 
um, for school. Well, I think that those first couple years after school is really kind of that time when you're going to have that. And then after that, it starts to quickly erode into having all kinds of responsibilities that don't allow you to practice either. You know, there's whether it's a job or it's traveling or any number of things, you know, so that time, like right when you get finished, is kind of that opportune moment to like really dive in like you're talking about go home shed get get everything together for the next next step right but there is always that um you know how do you feel about day jobs like besides the fact of like needing a day job to live (laughs) what do you mean what how do i feel about like part of me you know part of my hesitation with the job that i you know mentioned to you and whatnot was i was concerned that it was going to pull away from that and it's going to get into that point again where like i'm talking about now how i would love to have the freedom to be able to shed you know work on stuff like like a big thing that i wish i had done more because i was an awful student my first two years and and all that was like transcribe so i was like man when i get out of school like I'm going to transcribe, you know, and I'm going to like, I'm going to work on specific things. But then when you start adding in like, oh, hey, an actual full-time job that isn't necessarily directly influencing your playing, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of a tough pill to swallow in some ways, you know? Yeah, I understand. I think it comes down to your personality, just depending on like, do you like the structure of having that? Do you need that income? Do you like, do you feel comfortable with like, taking time for yourself to do these things that you want to develop artistically. I think, uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a day job. I, I think that you're going to learn a good amount of things from whatever you decide to do, but you have to know yourself, you know, I think that's really what it comes down to. I know plenty of people that had day jobs in New York that once they basically you keep the job until you're so bit, you're so busy doing the other stuff that you can't, maintain that job too and you have to make a choice what is your um thoughts on something that i'm sure everyone thinks of as like moving you know like how do you decide um well what are your thoughts on like where do you decide the next move especially for someone i know masters isn't a terminal degree but for a lot of people it's a degree that you do and then at least you don't go back or you take some time off before you go back for your doctor and whatnot so how are how would you pitch selling you know, checking out stuff and, and selling it because at least, you know, with your degree, like you were already in New York <laughs> and unless you hate New York, once you're in New York, you're like, I'll stay for a bit, you know? Mm-hmm. So what, what advice do you give your students or, or you would, or you've learned and whatnot when it comes time to try and figure out that move? Cause everyone always says like, well, you know, where are the people that you want to play with and go be there? And it's like, okay, that's great. But like that just cause they're there doesn't mean necessarily that, they're going to be there and interact with you there, you know? Well, yeah, that's, that's true, but you do have to be available to be able to be around. So I think if the goal is to eventually play with certain people, then eventually you will have to make that geographic uh, location closer together with that person. Um, But I think that there's often there's often an idea that whatever you decide is permanent and that whatever you decide is like life or death. And then like, it's either this or that, you know, we talked about this before, like it's either I'm going to take this job and move to this place, or I'm going to take this job and move to that place. 
Well, you're going to take that job and move there, but you know the whole time that you have a this other goal, you know, that your your long-term vision is whatever. For you, maybe it's to get to New York. So like taking a six months, one year longer and being a thousand percent more prepared to get to New York is a worthwhile investment of that year. You know what I'm right, saying? Right, right. And like, it's it's fluid. It's flexible. You might go to New York and hate New York, and then you want to go somewhere else. So, you know, I, I just I think often we get stuck in this idea, and I think it's because we talk to kids in middle school now about what are where they're going to go to college and what they're going to get a job in, and like everyone thinks that you need to make these decisions, and then you're like locked into this life right away. You know, it's like life is longer than we think. Like. It's also precious and short, but it's also like I'm 30. I've been playing trombone since I was whatever, 10 years old-ish. So I've been playing for 20 years. But literally, even if I stopped playing when I was 50, I'm only halfway through. Right. <laughs> not even, you know, it's like you're not even close to halfway, really. And especially getting just done with school, you're like barely getting started and you feel like but they make it feel like like this monumentous occasion where you are like achieving this thing that's way further down the road than it actually is. And I think as young people, we have a hard time realizing how much is left to go, you know? Right. So I don't know if that answers your question, but the, yeah, really it's tr- just being patient about like, it's okay to take a, a detour and it's okay to take the time to make sure you're really prepared for what you want to do and not be married to any particular outcome. Oh, sure. And I, you know, I think it's just, uh, I, you know, I've also come to peace with just realizing that like, again, where other people get these degrees and then there's a clear pathway to jobs like that to them is a very monumental moment. And you got to realize that like, this is not that, you know, we've talked about how you like really a lot of people never feel like they get to a point where they're like, all right, this is it that, you know, they just always get to, um, they just always get to that feeling of, um, you know, what, well, like, like the hustle never stops. Like Carl Allen was telling a story today where he was saying, um, uh, he was like, man, I, I remember talking to Herbie one day and I was like, you know what? <laughs> I can't wait to get, I hope I get to your level one day so that I can stop hustling. You know, I'm tired of the hustle. And then he said, Herbie turned around and Herbie was like, Hey man, the the hustle never stops. It's just a different kind of hustle now, you know. And and it's just uh, accepting yeah. that, you know, everyone hustles, whether you're a musician or you're not. But there isn't always, um, there isn't necessarily like a very big like checkpoint, you know, where you're just like, ah, I've done it, <laughs> you know. Really, like, what does a college degree matter besides the emphasis that society puts on it? Yeah, that's true. Well, both of those things are true. The hustle never stops. I guess it's, again, it's like we we put in our me- brain and our mind like a certain thing that like ex- we think it exists, but I never. I don't think it really exists. The you know, the I'm not very far down this path, but like you know, a lot of things that I thought existed, they don't actually. It's not true. Just it's just flat out not. But true. as humanity, like it's you like archetype of the- you like a- affirmation, and I think that's what we're really seeking. We're seeking after someone to like us. You know, and like, but like, <laughs> we get that self affirmation through ways that we can like mark 
down progress. I think that's the same reason why so many people hate transcribing or so many people hate music because it's like, or at least jazz, or frustration with jazz is it's very hard to measure progress, like in a definitive manner. At least like if you, you know, if you're trying to be a trumpet soloist, you can be like, well, I can play the Haydn, you know, I can play the Artunian. And of course, as you get better, like your, your ability to play it ain't gets better theoretically. Um, but with jazz and it's just such a hard thing to get to that point where you're just like, you know what? I feel good about this. You know, even like Leon talks about that being down here and he's, you know, the drum professor and he's like, man, I just don't ever feel like, you know, like I'm necessarily ready for some of these things. And I'm like, bro, you're so killing. Stop. That, yeah. It's just part of the process. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like you don't realize that that's what it is and that's what it is always going to be. The hustle doesn't stop. Just like you just yeah. said, you know, it's, it's, uh, Musical and otherwise. You know? Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you're not afraid of like what comes next. Oh, know? no. I think also I've been doing things I that's will. like that have exposed me, like working with you and for you and whatnot has certainly exposed me to um, life in a sense that like I don't, um, I don't just live within the confines of college. Like I'm, I'm ready for what else, you know? And I know I'm like sure. – intelligent enough i feel to be able to realize like oh you know what i at least got this going you know and it's not like Mm -hmm. um because at least that is something where like everyone else you know their whole thing's been uh, being a student and then it changes you know i think it's also important to recognize like well what things are going to remain constant when i get done and then find some security and comfort in that sure trumpet's still going to be hard that's one uh yeah no um Trumpet sucks. And to anybody that wants to talk about it, I firmly believe trumpet is one of the most difficult instruments out there. Oh, by far. It's way harder than trumpet. Right? I mean, you can say like, you got valves, but that little tiny mouthpiece. The back pressure you get on your face, it's miserable. Like, I hate playing it. And then people just go, hey, can you play this really high note that's probably going to hurt? Really soft. At the end of a third set of gigs, <laughs> and you're like, "No," and they go, "Great, I'll call someone else." <laughs> well, that's the thing. That's the thing. Funny. Well, I think that should uh, just about wrap up this week's episode of the Hang Jazz Appreciation Month. Go and tell a jazz musician that you love them, <laughs> and give them a hug. Not in a creepy way, uh, but like in a very calm, appreciative yeah. way. <laughs> Yeah, like, you know, like the guy in the street with the sign that says free hugs. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever seen that guy? No, you've, you never. No, but I've, so, I've you know. owned social media. Like, I've seen pictures. <laughs> Just tell people, tell well, people you appreciate them. Be a nicer person. Just all the time. Oh, we're ending on such a positive note. Ooh. Oh, great. look at that. All right. Well, thanks for being here, and we'll be back soon. Uh, with another episode of The Hang, send us your thoughts, questions, info at outsideinmusic.com. Subscribe to the podcast, and we'll see you back here real soon.